Welcome back to The Wine Show. You're with Jill Upton. And yes, as that lovely, lovely lady just mentioned, please, we do love to hear from you. Anything you want to say, any questions you have, please do text in 0456 965 965. And actually, on that note, uh, just before I uh, I do uh, introduce John Deval, we do have a text in from Christopher, and it is for John. So I'm going to give John a little moment to, uh, to ponder this whilst I read it. So he says, hi, Jill, a few questions for John Deval. How many vineyards provide fruit for the Illigo Shiraz? And does Adrian Hoffman's fruit go into the Illigo? I have some bottles of Noki's Palette Shiraz. And how did John get involved with Noki's Palette? So, John, take it away. Okay, well, Illigo is our flagship Shiraz. And uh, normally it's picking the eyes out of one Eden Valley vineyard and probably two, sometimes three, Barossa Valley vineyards. And what I mean by picking the eyes out of close to harvest, um, my son and I'd walk up and down the rows of these vineyards. And if there's certain parts of the vineyard, maybe there's a soil variation or one section of the vineyard is slightly lower yielding, we'll pick that separately. So um, so it's it's selection right through. As a matter of fact, the name Illigo means to pick out, select or choose the best. The other part of the question was about Adrian Hoffman's vineyard and Nocky's palette. Um, in 2009, I, uh, I met a guy that originally from Melbourne, but had lived in Hong Kong for, I think it's close to 30 years. And he was pretty keen to, uh, at one stage, buy a vineyard. So he tells me I probably saved him quite a bit of money by the fact that I finished up making uh, a, a Shiraz for him and and then a GSM wine for him. So um, so we go back a long, a long way, actually. And Adrian Hoffman is a, a, a very famous grower in uh, the Ebenezer region of the northern Barossa Valley and produces excellent fruit. The family's had the vineyard, I think they're up to their seventh generation now, so um, produces excellent Shiraz in particular. And uh, we quite often would use some, particularly in Oligo, and sometimes in Knock as well. well. There we go. Thank you very much. Uh, so, um, John, Christopher is one of our most, uh, most avid listeners and does text in every week. We want to say thank you. And actually, Christopher, um, as I know you are listening, Richo was delighted that you dropped into his Barossa Masterclass last week. He sent us a picture and um, you're very handsome, by the way. Uh, so but thank you very much for your support. And John, thank you for answering that question. So that was a little bit of a different uh, introduction uh, of John Duval, but I don't really think you need much of an introduction, John. Your, your family's name has been in the wine industry for for so long, for over a hundred years, and uh, you started with actually, um, I think, like selling fruit to winemakers. You didn't actually start as winemakers in your family, did you? No, I'm many generations of vignerons, but I'm the first winemaker. And uh, now that Tim, my son, is in the business, uh, we've moved into the second generation of winemakers. Yeah, excellent. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you took that stand because your wines are excellent and you clearly know exactly what you're doing. So, John, I'd love you to give us your story. So, obviously, you, you, you're in the wine industry because of your family, but can you tell us your story about your, your days at Penfolds? I mean, you're you know, the, the third winemaker of Grange and you've worked with, you know, you've worked with like this star-studded lineup. So, can you tell us your story? Certainly, yes. Well, as you alluded to before, I do come from an agricultural background and I finished up studying agricultural science at Adelaide University, then the winemaking course at Roseworthy College. 
and uh, then went for my only job interview, and that was with Penfolds. So I started with Penfolds in 1974 and had an apprenticeship of, uh, of 12 years working with uh, sort of great winemakers, Max Schubert's, the Don Ditters, uh, um, the, the, the manager up at the New York Winery, Kevin Schrader, Robin Moody, John Bird. There's a whole heap of uh, legendary Penfolds winemakers that um, I just soaked up as much information as I could over that time. And then very fortunate in 1986, when Don Ditter retired, um, I got the tap on the shoulder to take over as chief winemaker, which was a huge honour, of course, but um, uh, but it was great that I'd had 12 years working for the company already, so I had a pretty good understanding of um, of the styles of Penfolds. And I really looked on my job as two parts. The first part was being the custodian of the, the famous Penfolds wines, wines that were created by Max Schubert or Don Ditter. And um, so my job was to maintain the quality and style, or improve it, if, obviously, if I, if I could. Um, but um, I didn't develop those wines, so I was the caretaker, the custodian of those wines. But the second part of the job was the exciting part of actually having the opportunity to develop some new wines for Penfolds. And um, one of the wines in particular, the RWT, um, the, the red wine trial, which was my idea of creating a, a wine that focused entirely on the Barossa, whereas um, many of the other Penfolds wines were multi-district blends or even Grange was mostly Barossa, but um, did incorporate some other vineyards as well. But, um, but RWT gave me the opportunity to contrast the Grange style probably looking for more black fruit and blue fruit and aged in French oak rather than American oak like uh, Penfolds Grange is matured in. Right. So so tell us a bit more about some of these wines that you initiated. I, I do believe the uh, the 138 and the 407 were, were a, a nod to you. That's right, yes. In, um, in 1990, the first vintage of 407, We'd, uh, we're done for a vintage or two. We'd looked at producing this uh, this Cabernet wine, um, and then 1990 came along, which was just such a magic vintage that it um, it really put up its hand and said, "I'm ready." And so 407 yes. was de developed. Um, the 138 was back in those days. It was uh, called the Brosser Old Vine, which is a, a GSM blend. Um, yes. So. Um, uh, and I really like the style and so much so that the first wine I developed for the family label, John DeVal Wines, was actually a GSM blend. Mm. So um, I loved working and Penfolds had access to some just some marvellous old vineyards in the, in the Brossa. Mm. So would you say you actually uh, basically made the first GSM in the Barossa? I mean, if you were doing it for Penfolds back then, who else was doing it before you? Oh, probably Charlie Milton. Ah, um, uh, yes, okay. Yeah, mm -hmm. there was um, there wasn't a lot, but it had the wave had started already. People had mm. um, had realised that we had these fantastic old vineyards that were changing from fortified production and were now available for table wine, mm. and um, they had age, they had character, and um, and, and it was just a great opportunity to uh, develop a style in in that vein. Yeah, oh, look at it. It is absolutely outstanding. As you say, Charles Milton is, they are amazing at GSMs. How do you, 
in the very beginning, before the actual blend, you know, Shiraz was the, they're all standalone grapes. Who was it that actually decided that they actually think that these three grapes blended together would be so marvellous? Was it a bit of an accident, It just, you know, trial and testing, or was there a bit more of a scientific background to it? Well, I think you've got to look to the old world in, in Europe, in France in particular, the Rhone, where those varieties were, were, were used. So uh, I guess um, uh, even though perhaps people didn't travel as much sort of 40, 50 years ago than what they they do nowadays, but people were aware of those styles. And uh, <clears throat> so it was an opportunity, seeing that we had those those vineyards, to uh, to develop a style like that. Yeah, for sure. And look, so well, we'll talk about your John Deval wines. Of course, you're the first one all under your oh, under your new name and company was a GSM. But you also do some of my favourites. You've got the Marsan and Rosan and Viognier, three of my absolute favourites. Let's let's talk about your wines. Tell us about about your label, about how you started, why you went out on your own. Give us that. Give us that side. Yeah, well, I'd been working for Penfolds for twenty nine years and. Um, I actually was wearing two hats. I was chief winemaker of Penfolds, but joint chief winemaker of the Total South Corp Group. So um, very much involved in the management, the executive committee. Had to fly to Sydney for meetings sort of once or twice um, uh, a month. And uh, it was I was very, very busy in, in the corporate side of the business and probably getting a little bit further away from the cellar floor. So... Um, so I saw there was an opportunity, and I'd been thinking for a little while about uh, developing the, a, a family label as well. So at the end of 2002, um, I announced I was going to leave, leave Penfolds and South Corp, the parent company, to develop our family business. And uh, although uh, Penfolds are pretty keen to get me to consult for a couple of years, so in 2003 and 2004, and again for the classification and blending um, tastings in 05 as well, I, I was sort of came back and was doing work while, and it was a great opportunity to uh, have the transition between leaving Penfolds and developing my own family family label. So, um, so 2003 was the first vintage, uh, and we made just the one wine that year, the Plexus, which was the Shiraz Grenache Mouvet blend, mm. and and then in 2004, Entity Shiraz was developed. And 2005, the Illigo, our flagship Shiraz, was developed. <clears throat> and it wasn't until 2010 that we developed the first white wine. And um, basically because I got um, I got tired of using other people's white wines when I had to do a wine tasting or wine dinner. And, um, and just uh, sort of jokingly on the home front, if I forgot to buy the white wine, I got in, in, in trouble. Um, so it was... The, the big question was what what white style to develop and um, and there was a lot of Rieslings and Simeons, etc. But I really thought there was potential to develop a sort of a Rhone-inspired white blend as well. I mean, just as uh, Shiraz, Grenache, Mavet grow particularly well in the Brossa, uh, I saw there was an opportunity for a Massan, Roussan, Viognier blend and, um, and that's how it happened. Oh, that's that's always just a good idea. Definitely, definitely one of my favourite blends. And so your your cellar door is in the artisans of Barossa. Um, so t tell us about the experience that we can expect, and, and why did you actually team up with those guys to uh to create your cellar door there? 
was I think it was about 2009, 2010, I got a phone call from, it was Kim Toysner actually, who was part of Artisans already, and just asking if I would be interested in joining the group. And I said, Kim, what's, uh, tell me a little bit more about it. Uh, and he, he did. And he said, one of the things we're looking to do is open a cellar door. And I said, now you've got my attention because oh. um, every day of the week I was actually getting phone calls from people saying, well, we're coming to the Brussels. Where can we buy your wine? Where can we taste your wine? And and we didn't have a cellar door outlet. And um, I was happy to give recommendations to the local restaurants where my wine was listed. Mm-hmm. But um, so I joined Artisans um, and we uh, we opened a cellar door uh, up sort of partway between Tanunda and Anguston. And we were there for about seven or eight years. And uh, and then we were just tenants and the landlord sold to another winery. So we had to move and we opened a small wine bar called Vino Locale in Tanunda just as a stopgap where the plan was to build a, a new and exciting new cellar door tasting room and restaurant. Um, and then COVID came along, so we were at Vino Locale for a bit longer than probably what we initially planned. But in October last year, we opened the new Artisans, which uh, incorporates uh, some fantastic tasting facilities, uh, mm-hmm. sort of cafe and coffee, and a, and a really lovely restaurant as well. Yeah, so, it's a beautiful uh, experience there, absolutely. And it's proved extremely popular and um, it's a great facility for the, the eight small winemakers that are involved in the in the business as, as well. Well, it just makes so much sense, doesn't it, that uh, instead of all having your own cellar doors, all doing this, putting the same amount of hours and time in, where you can actually all just do it together and it's, it's a beautiful way to still do cross-promotion of wines. And I think it's just a very smart model moving forward. Absolutely, and um, it's a great synergy of having eight different winemakers involved. Production is totally separate, so it's mainly the sort of sales and marketing and promotional side of the business. And and we've all got different expertise, and there's a great melding of talents amongst the group, and um, it's really quite exciting. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I, I wanted to ask you about um, some wine projects that you're involved in uh, overseas. You've got some projects uh, with with the Chilean company and um, and US. Uh, are you able to speak about those? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, when I announced I was leaving Penfolds to start our own family label, I had many phone calls from different parts of uh, Australia and the rest of the world. And um, I finished up doing a bit of consulting work in Italy and Spain for a few years, but then decided that I was probably more interested in projects that I had part of the action in. And um, it's a company called Ventascura in Chile and um, and a project called Long Shadows in Washington State that um, were very keen to get me involved and where I had uh, some interest in the projects as well. Um, So, Obviously, uh, sort of COVID has curtailed uh, travel for the last couple of years, but I've been working pretty much since the time I left Penfolds with um, with Chile and uh, Washington State's on the back burner a bit more. But um, uh, in Chile in particular, um, <clears throat> because I haven't been travelling over there, we've been using technology in terms of they send me a duplicate set of samples and we taste on Zoom 
we do trial blends on Zoom and, and then finalise for bottling. So it's amazing what you can do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, John, you you know your wine so well. I mean, I still find it so impressive that you actually, you know, you were responsible for Grange for, for how many years was it? 16 vintages. 16 vintages. Yeah. So let's just say if we we're going to be doing like a, a vertical tasting, what would you say were your favourite vintages of Grange whilst you were in charge? Um, I, I guess sentimentally, the 1990 always got a soft spot because it finished up being the Wine Spectator Wine of the Year, wow. which uh, which was pretty important, not just for Penfolds, but I helped. I think it helped show the premium winemaking credentials uh, uh, of Australia to the rest of the world. Um, 96 was also a very, I think, an excellent vintage. Uh, it was uh, a very elegant, a lot of finesse with, with the with the vintage. Mm. So. Um, uh, so I, I love that. I mean, 98 also had lots of accolades. So um, it's um, you could go through, and I think each of the vintages had its own personality and at attributes, but probably the, those, those two vintages stand out. Right. And uh, what, what would be the most expensive Grange? What's, what's the one that would have uh, auctioned at the highest out of all of yours? Do you um, even know? Well, of our range... Uh, Obviously, the Oligo, our flagship Shiraz, but we've just recently released a small parcel of uh, of a Cabernet with a small amount of Shiraz uh, called Integro, and it comes from the same vineyard that we sourced uh, the Grenache that goes into the Annexus Grenache. We, mm -hmm. we do have a, like a sub-brand Annexus, which talks to very old vineyard Grenache, and also we have a a single vineyard Mataro under the Nexus label as well. So, um, but Integro is um, is probably the most uh, most expensive wine in our range. And so, in order to get your John Deval wines, we can obviously get them online um, on your website, John Deval Wines com dot au, and just just dot com. Dot, uh, just dot com. I take yeah. that back. It's John dot com. And where else can we find them? Um, apart from artisans of Barossa, of course. Well, apart from artisans, yes, any of the good good wine stores or, or, or good restaurants. Yeah, okay, there we go. Just make sure you're going high-end and you'll find them. I like it. John, thank you very much for uh, for this morning and taking your time. Wealth of knowledge and experience and the people that you've, uh, that you've worked with and who have mentored you. I mean, to be mentored by Max Schubert must be absolutely incredible. But um, thank you for uh, thank you everything you've done for the industry and I'm so glad you've gone out on your own. I can't wait to taste some of your wines. Thank you very much, Jill. It's a pleasure.